I don't know about you, but the last several years have been a bit of a challenge for me. There's been so much going on in the world. Started, oh my, it probably started years and years ago, maybe in the 60s or before, but it just seems like everything has been picking up. And uh, so about, I don't know, it would have been in 2017, we saw how our political system in the United States has just turned against, uh, each side has turned against one another to an extent that I, I don't recall. I was a teenager in the 60s, and I recall all of the, uh, the things that were going on in the 60s, but it doesn't seem like it was today. Today it just seems like evil is reigning. We've had uh, uh, cities burning, uh, the uh, nation's capital disrupted. We uh, have gone through a pandemic where we've had a series of shutdowns that have just seemed so unnatural to us and also the, the idea that uh, uh, not only have we had shutdowns, but we've had... Uh, situation where we've had mandatory masks, mandatory uh, vaccinations, the list goes on. And now we sit in our homes at night and we watch a war that's taking place around the way on the other side of the world. And we see things that most civilians have never, has, have never seen before, including weapons that are Strictly anti-personnel. In other words, they're made in order to kill people. There's no, other, there's no other reason for them. So over the last few weeks, I've, I've been struggling with that. Lord, all this evil that's going on in the world. In fact, I've had to go so far as to even limiting very much the amount of, of news or uh, TV shows that I watch just because it has been such a bother to me. And uh, as I prepared for this, this sermon today, I prayed to the Lord and I said, Lord, what is it that you would have me to speak about today? Well, not today, you know, then I was saying this coming Sabbath. What is it that I, that I should say? And immediately the thought came into my mind, Habakkuk. When that happened, I knew immediately why the Lord was directing me to Habakkuk. It had been a while since I read it, but I remembered Habakkuk as being a book that just really lifted my spirits. And the reason for that is, is not because it doesn't deal with serious subjects. Oh, it deals with very serious subjects. In fact, it frankly deals with the subjects that we're dealing with today in this world, and that is the issue of evil, and where is God during uh, uh, with all this with all this evil going on? But it became chicken soup for my soul because I remembered Habakkuk himself and the way that uh, Habakkuk's response, his 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 uh, uh, complaints against God, and the way that he responded to God. It reminded, of, reminded me of myself. And it actually brought out a laugh or two as I was reading through it. 
And uh, I was just so thankful for that because, like I said, it, it had finally taken me out of the doldrums of thinking about all that was going on in this world and placing my eyes on Jesus. And so I want to share that with you today. Habakkuk is a small book. In fact, it's only three chapters. Uh, you can probably read it in under 20 minutes. So if you go home today, and when you go home today, don't be afraid to open your Bible to Habakkuk and read it for yourself. But we're going to talk about it, and we're going to go through Habakkuk and see what it is that it has to teach us. Habakkuk raises a complaint to God, wondering where God is with so much evil going on in Judah. Like Job, Habakkuk wrestles with the matter of how to understand the justice of God in a world full of injustice. However, in one respect, Habakkuk, Habakkuk is the opposite of Job. Whereas Job questions God's fairness by speaking against the injustice of the, of the divinely permitted tragedies that he's enduring, Habakkuk questions God's fairness by demanding that he send his judgments upon the wicked. In other words, Job wants God to show his justice by removing negative judgment from the righteous. And Habakkuk wants God to show his justice by sending negative judgment upon the wicked. Let's take, let's take a look at, at Habakkuk 1, verses 2 through 4. This is where Habakkuk's complaint uh, is, his first complaint. He's got a couple of them. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. Uh, or never uh, prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, so that justice is perver uh, uh, so that justice is perverted. Judah was in a crisis. Evidently, Habakkuk had been for, has for some time been expressing his concern to God about the wickedness prevalent in his society. But nothing has changed, and, just, and injustice continues to abound. The prophet concludes that God is either uh, not listening to his concern or is indifferent toward it. So his frustration erupts in this striking complaint given in the traditional format of the lament. Though some are, su are surprised that a prophet would speak to God in this way, this, pa this passage, as well as others in Scripture, indicates that God's servants sometimes make honest and heartfelt statements of concern about his fairness and his judgment. The Lord then answers uh, 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 Habakkuk. And he does so in, cha in uh, chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. And he says... Look at the nations and watch, and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe. Even if you were told, I am raising up the, uh, even if you were told, I am raising up the Babylonians, 
the ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings that are not their own. God responds to Habakkuk uh, by uh, uh, saying that he's going to bring Babylon against Judah. Habakkuk can't believe uh, what, uh, uh, what, he's be, uh, what he's being told. In fact, his response is something like this. Habakkuk and I are brothers, just like good old Beaker of the, of the Muppets. I, can tell you, I can't tell you the number of times that I've brought a complaint to God and I thought, Lord, you listen to this. You see, the problem here is that if you understood everything that's going on, you would listen to me. And suddenly the Lord responds in a way that just shakes me to my very foundation. Babylon acting as God's agent to punish Judah creates a bigger problem for Habakkuk. How... Uh, for Habakkuk, and he wonders how God can allow this. Because according to his assessment, the Babylonians are more wicked than the people of Judah. Have you ever thought, if God only knew the depth of the problem, he would surely do what I want him to do? God says to him, I've got another plan. And so that's where he goes. One of the things that we see... One of the things that we see then is that God actually seems like he, he strengthens Habakkuk's argument. God begins to list of, uh, uh, some of Babylon's most striking deficits. He says, they are feared and dreaded people, a law unto themselves. Verse uh, uh, 8a, the first half of, of verse 8. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves. They fly like vultures swooping to devour. They are bent on vengeance. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. And he goes on. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all the fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. Habakkuk must have felt somewhat vindicated by God talking about Babylon the way that he did. Because one of the things that he, that he, that he reiterates, one of the, the, what he reinforces is that Babylon were bad people. In fact, the time that Habakkuk was written is probably somewhere between 640 and 605 B.C. It was right before Babylon had uh, defeated Assyria and just before uh, Babylon had come against Judah. And so they were, a, they were a, a real powerful nation, but on top of that, they were just downright mean. So Habakkuk brings another complaint. To the Lord. In his opening comment, Habakkuk inquired why God caused him to look upon evil. Now he questions how God, being righteous and holy, can look on, on while wicked Babylon defeats righteous Judah. 
Lord, you are not from ever. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Treacherous. Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? I keep hearing a voice. Do you? Am I hearing things or is there something? Oh, okay. All right. Sorry about that. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't uh, going. <laughs> yeah, I'm hearing voices. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I needed that. <laughs> anyway, it looks here like Habakkuk's taking a bit of a turn. What he's doing now is he's decided that he's going to use logic with the Lord. He's going to tell him, you know, Lord, you are righteous, you are holy. How is it that you can do this? And so that's what he brings in front of the Lord after, uh, after the earlier complaint uh, seemed to fail. And the Lord said, well, I'm going to bring Babylon. Now Habakkuk is focused like a laser on, oh my, what's going to happen to Judah next? Habakkuk's complaint continues. Where he says, You have made people like the fish of the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with a hook. He catches them in his net. He's glad. Uh, he gathers then up in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, a therefore he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For, his net, for by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he uh, to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? This is an interesting commentary, by the way. It's kind of like us saying, Lord, we feel like a fish in a bucket. That Babylon's going to come here and he's going to be able to destroy us because all he has to do is dip his net in and take us out. And Lord, by the way, I want to remind you that when he does this, he's going to sacrifice to his nets. He's going to give praise to his own power. And that's a recurring theme here, is that in, uh, in the complaints that Habakkuk mates, makes, but also the Lord's going to talk about this before long, because he's, uh, uh, he's going to talk about the five woes, or the five warnings to Babylon here in just a moment. And when he does, he's going to talk again about this very issue, the idea that Babylon is bad. The Babylon, uh, uh, they are so consumed by their own strength. And what they do, what they do is, is uh, by the way, the, uh, this, the picture that's, that's portrayed here is one of, uh, is a picture that you would have found on the walls of some of the Mesopotamian uh, cities back during this time. It showed the victor pulling out his... Uh, uh, his enemy with a fish hook. And so what, what Habakkuk's complaining about here to the people of his time would have been absolutely understandable to those who were, who were uh, listening to his complaint. And then Habakkuk says this. 
He says, I will stand my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. My vision of Habakkuk right here is, is this. I'll stand here and watch, Lord. We'll see how you answer this complaint. Now, maybe that's not what he meant to say. I'm not a, a, a Greek or Hebrew scholar, so I, I haven't uh, taken this apart, uh, but I have to say that that's what it seems like to me. Using the vivid imagery familiar in Habakkuk's time of a, of a sentinel posted on a watchtower, eagerly awaiting information to share with his people, the prophet declares that he will await God's answer to his complaint. I could be wrong, but I picture this as Habakkuk with his arms crossed and his, his foot tapping. The Lord answers then a second time. God tells Habakkuk to write down the revelation that he is going to give to him and to write it plainly and large enough so that the herald can deliver the message as he runs. But the revelation is for the future, for an appointed time. Habakkuk will need to be patient and wait, trusting God. The revelation speaks of the end and will definitely be found to be true. Be patient and trust me. There is a time coming when all will be made right. That's exactly what the Lord say, uh, replies to, uh, to Habakkuk. He says, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that, I may herald, uh, so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits the appointed time. What he's saying here is, as he's telling Habakkuk, he says, you write down what I've just told you. You, you write down what I'm going to tell you. And write it down big and bold so that, the, so that when somebody runs with this message to the rest of Judah, they'll be able to shout the words out as I run, or as the, uh, as the herald runs. So he says that it's going to be time, it's going to take time for this thing, to, for the appointed time to come. But he says you can be sure of it. But these things are going to happen. Well, then in verse 4 of, uh, of, uh, of uh, chapter 2, Habakkuk says this, and this is going to sound real familiar to you. He says, See the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Does that sound familiar to you? The righteous will live by faith. And sure enough, that's what we see. Uh, God's response here begins to zero in on why he will use Babylon to correct Judah's fall into rebellion. This declaration is quoted three times in the New Testament. It's quoted in Romans 1, verse 17, Galatians 3, 11, and in Hebrews 10, 38. Summarizing the great biblical doctrine of righteousness by faith. I've put two of those uh, verses uh, up front so that we can take a look at them. Um, uh, this verse makes a fitting summer, a summary because it contrasts the proud and self-sufficient Babylonians who are headed for destruction with those among Judah who have, who have an abiding trust in the Lord while they live lives of integrity. The words shall live imply experiencing the blessings, the abundance, and the security offered 
by God to those who are faithful to Him. First, Romans 1, verse 17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. In Hebrews 10, verse 38 and 39, we get a bit of a different uh, twist on this. He says, And but my righteous one will live by faith and take no pleasure at the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back. We are destroyed. But to those who have faith, they're saved. Here Paul doesn't focus so much on, a building, faith, on building faith, but tells his audience that the faith that has been built, up, uh, built in them will lead to their salvation. In all cases, the loving grace of God, who through the careful shepherding of his people, is bringing them to faithfulness. As you read through the, the book of Habakkuk, you'll find that what's being talked about here is discipline. And that led me to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, which says, My son, do not despise the Lord, the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord's the, the disciples, those he loves, as a father, as a father, the son he delights in. Oftentimes when we think of punishment, we think of punishment as harsh. And sometimes it can feel harsh when we're in the middle of it. But a loving father... And a loving Christ, when they uh, uh, speak about uh, about discipline, what they're talking about is is how it is, how it is that the Lord leads us through things that will cause us to increase and strengthen our faith. You see, and that's the heart of what it is that the Lord is trying to tell Habakkuk, and it's also the approach that the Lord is using with Judah. Because, you see, Judah had fallen. But now, what, uh, 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 what the Lord is going to do is the Lord is going to bring trials to Judah so that their faith can be increased, those who choose to. After being discharged from the Marine Corps, this was way back <laughs> in the mid-'70s, I went to work for a company, FMC, Link Belt, Trains and Excavators. You've probably seen them along the highways where they're doing construction. And we made big cranes and excavators. Today they don't seem so big because things have advanced over those years. But uh, they required test pads and they required laboratories, or labs we called them. I worked mostly for the... Uh, the engineering department. I worked in facilities, but my job was to work with the engineering department in the construction of test labs and test pads. The difference between them is, is that the labs were indoors and, and uh, were limited as to what they could do. The pads outside were, uh, the pads, uh, test pads were outside, and there what they would do is they would bring the various pieces of equipment onto those labs, and they would test them. And they would do so in the labs as well. In fact, we had a structural lab where using uh, 
uh, pneumatics, they could actually make a model of a crane frame. And they, and they would uh, put that model there, and with the pneumatics, they could actually simulate that frame. It was just simply the frame, or they could use a real frame too. Uh, they could put it there, and they could simulate it going down the road. And the reason for that is, is that they would start to put it under different stresses. And the reason for it is they wanted to find out where the weaknesses were in the frame. You see, one of the things that they had to be worried about is they had to be worried that, the, that uh, it was safe and, and uh, also make sure that it would, it would fulfill the specifications for that, for that crane. And so uh, the cranes and excavators were carefully designed to perform safely and, and uh, to spec. During the de design phase, components were tested. Some of them were tested to destruction. Those components that failed would be redesigned and once again tested. As the machines went through the tests and redesign, performance and safety improved dramatically. So it is with us. God may use trials to instruct and strengthen his children, uh, just as human fathers do and as well as the manufacturer of cranes. God doesn't save us from tribulation. He saves us through tribulation. I want you to look at the example that's given to us in Daniel, where the three Hebrew worthies are thrown into the fiery furnace. The Lord doesn't stop that. He doesn't stop them from being thrown in the furnace. But what he does is he goes into the furnace with them see and that's what trials are all about and that's what the Lord is telling Habakkuk so then in the Lord's response he also gives five uh, five woes uh, oops yeah that's yeah that's okay yeah, there we go. He gives five woes to, uh, to Babylon. And those woes go like this. Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. Because you have plundered many nations, the peoples who are left will plunder you. What he's doing here is, is he's assuring Habakkuk. And by the way, when we get to the third chapter, what we're going to see is that there's a lot of, of um, musical terms that are in the third chapter. Basically, what he's done is, is he's, he's written psalm, psalms or songs. And uh, what that means is, is that the third chapter was most likely used in, in the liturgical services in the temple. And so... Uh, these these five woes would be to let the people know that the Lord was fully aware of what was going on and that the punishment would fit the crime. Next he says to him in, in Habakkuk uh, 2, 9 through 11, he says, Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain. He will, be, he will have plotted the ruin of many peoples shaming your own house and for and uh, you have plotted the ruin of many peoples shaming your own house and forfeiting your life and then the third one he gave gave is, is woe to him 
who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. He's gone through and he's told Babylon what's going to happen to them as a result of their meanness and the way that they're treating the other the nations, the evil way that he's treating the nations around uh, the country, around the world at that time. And he says that in the end, that the Lord, the, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God, and the glory of the Lord uh, as waters cover the sea. He goes on to the, to the last two woes. And these are these are interesting as well because he says, Woe to him who gives drunk, drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskins till they are drunk, so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The Lord's not talking about something vile here. Well, he is. He's talking about evilness. But I want you to, t- to take your mind back to Adam and Eve in the garden after they had eaten from the fruit of the tree of good and evil, what, what happened to them? When the Lord came to the garden, they ran. Why? Because they realized that they were naked. They saw their nakedness. In the Bible, you'll find in the Old Testament, when it talks about nakedness, it's talking about sinfulness. And we see it in, uh, also in uh, Noah. After the waters recede, and Noah then goes basically through a second creation, and he gets drunk then uh, 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 in the in the uh, in the vineyard. He gets drunk, and he goes into uh, his tent, and one of his sons, Ham, uh, uh, goes into the tent and sees his father's nakedness, and instead of covering his father's nakedness. He go gets he gets his other another brother and he walks in with a blanket backwards in order not to sit, to gaze upon his father's nakedness and uh, covers him with a blanket. So you see that uh, uh, this is a, this is a serious uh, uh, thing that's being talked about here. That uh, it's not it's not a, 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 a it's not uh, within God's. Uh, desire that we look upon sin and laugh at it. Instead, we as Christians should be working with people who find themselves in a bad spot. And sometimes, my friends, it can be our very own church members, our brothers and sisters that we find in church. And the approach isn't to laugh or, or, or to get angry. Our approach is to cover their sin. It's to go to them and to talk to them about what it is that uh, is happening in their lives and what you can do to help them to overcome the evil that's taking place there. Next he says, Of what value is a carved, uh, is an idol carved by a craftsman or an image that teaches lies for the one who makes it trusts his own creator, creation? Wake up! Can it give guidance? Is it covered with gold and silver? There is no breath in it. When we make gods of our own, and those gods, it's easy for us to look at, at these gods and say, well, I'm not making any gods. I'm not out creating gods. I'm not forming them from stone. I'm not carving them from wood. But yet, many times we have our own gods. And we, find, we oftentimes find them 
when, they, when we uh, suddenly realize that we have replaced God with something in our lives. Any time that we look at things uh, uh, in our lives and we see that we're willing to bend God's rules in order to do these things that we desire so much, we indeed are, uh, are, are worshiping false gods. Then the conclusion for the wicked ones is in Habakkuk 2.20, the Lord, it says, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Judgment, comes to, uh, judgment will come to Babylon and those who pursue, uh, who, who pursue evil. When it talks about the Lord being his, his, uh, in his holy temple, and when it tells us to be silent, what he's saying is, is he's saying that God will judge. And that's what he's talking about here, that God is going to come and judge This is the uh, this is the second verse in uh, uh, in uh, the third chapter of Habakkuk. I've already spoken about the third chapter a little bit, and what we see here is that Habakkuk has gotten the message, and this is where Habakkuk turns into such a beautiful, beautiful song and a poem. He says, Lord, I have heard your, uh, of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day, in our time. Make them known in wrath. Remember mercy. He's going to go on in chapter 3, and he's going to talk about how the Lord rescued Israel from Egypt. He's going to talk about Mount Sinai, and he's also going to talk about how uh, the Lord led his people into the promised land. It's fascinating that what seems to have brought Habakkuk into a correct way of thinking was that he looked back in time, and by looking back, he discovered that God could be trusted. You see, Habakkuk comes face to face with God's almighty acts after his complaint. He highlights the Lord's workings in the time of the Exodus at Mount Sinai and at the conquest of the promised land and anticipates that God will work again on the behalf of his people. There's a theologian uh, uh, or uh, a theologian philosopher named Soren uh, Kierkegaard, and he says this, Life is to be lived forward, but it is to be understood backwards. What's he saying? He's saying that when we live, we have to keep moving forward. We have to look and do, do our very best that we can to make right choices. But in the end, we, may, we are not going to understand what took place until we look backward, and then we can see what all has taken place, what has happened uh, and this is very specifically what happened to Habakkuk, is, is that Habakkuk was looking, was looking ahead, and he's, he's, he doesn't understand. Lord, why is it that you're just sitting there and you're not doing anything about all the evil in the world? And now you say that you're going to bring Babylon against Judah? But you see, once Habakkuk starts looking backward, 
then what happens is, is suddenly he can see that God has been a holy God, that God has been a faithful God, that God has been trustworthy. Next comes Habakkuk's prayer or psalm. I love this. I've, I've, I've put here on the screen the, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the quote is from the message. The reason I've done that is because if you go back and look at, at this in, at home, when you get home, you'll see that he talks about you know, like the olive tree and he talks in, in ways that would be very meaningful to the people of his time. And I, when I, I looked this up, trying to find something that would help me to understand better what it is that Habakkuk was saying, and this is it. Though the cherry trees don't blossom and the strawberries don't ripen, though the apples are worm-eaten and the wheat fields stunted, though the sheep pens are sheepless and the, corn barns em- and the cattle barns empty, I'm singing joyful praise to God. I'm turning cartwheels of joy to my Savior God, counting on God's rule to prevail. I take heart and gain strength. I run like a deer. I feel like I'm king of the mountain. What a beautiful response that is to the dilemma that Habakkuk had found himself in. Habakkuk announces that though all, through all the natural means of sustenance should fall, he will rejoice in God anyway even as Paul did while waiting a decision in a Roman jail cell in Philippians 4, verse 4. Evidently, this is due to a continuous trust in God, regardless of external circumstances, an attitude which Habakkuk needs right now as he contemplates Babylon's impending judgment upon Judah. Likewise, our relationship with the Lord should not be dependent on what is happening in our lives at any given moment. An attitude of gratitude instead of focusing on the evil that is in the world or on the trials that come our way, we should be in a prayer in a prayer of thanksgiving for the thing for all the things that God has done and is doing in our lives. Make it personal if you are a family, you need to come together as a family on a regular basis. I would even say daily. And I'm not saying that because I have done this myself. I wish I would have. I just wish so much that I would have when my children were small. But come together and recount the ways that God has blessed you as a person and as a family. I have a brand new three-week-old great-granddaughter, my first one. (laughs) I'm the proudest great-grandfather you ever saw. I look at her and how she is such a blessing to our family. My children and my grandchildren and my children who are now grandparents, they're so thrilled to have this new one in their lives. And so that's a blessing. Are there going to be trials? Oh, I've raised four kids. I know there's going to be trials. There's no doubt that there's going to be trials. But there will be blessings over and over and over again. 
I've talked to many people here in the church, sometimes up from up here in the, in the pulpit, about the things that have happened in my life. And those things have not been good. They've been so far from where the Lord wanted me to be. But the Lord has welcomed me back. I look at those things and I'm just amazed at God's love and His mercy. And what He's asking of us here is, is or what Habakkuk is telling us here is that we knew what we need to do is we need to look at God's blessings in our lives. As we look at God's blessings, and this is how we can work uh, uh, with our children. When I said I, I wish I would have started with my children, one of the things that I would have, uh, I would have stressed over and over again is, you are such a blessing to me. In fact, I used to joke with my kids. And I would say things to my, ch- my children that uh, were a joke or uh, but were a put down. Or I would talk about somebody else and say, this person is a real fool. What I've determined is this. If I had it to do all over again, no negative words would come out of my mouth. To my family. The reason for that is if that person's a fool and my child sees things that are similar in their own life, then suddenly they're a fool too. You see? A household should be a place where we lift one another up, not put them down. It's important for us to know that we're important and loved by those around us so that they can see for themselves why it is that we can trust that God loves us just as much or more, actually, than what our own family does. Yeah. There's times, there have been times now And I keep thinking of things and I go back to my children and ask their forgiveness. That they would forgive me for the things that I have said, the things that I have done. Because it's important for me that they understand something about my love for them and that they understand about God's love for them as well. And I want them to be able to look back and say, I know that God loves me and I trust him implicitly with everything in my life. So I pray that you guys will take a look at Habakkuk again if you haven't looked at him. It's an Old Testament. He's one of the minor prophets, one of the 12 minor prophets. Minor prophets doesn't mean he's not important. As you've already seen in chapter 2, verse 4, he has a quote there that's used three times in the New Testament. So it's when minor prophets come up, it's not because they're not important. It's because they're very tiny books. And Habakkuk is one that you can benefit from looking at. I pray that God would bless you as you go forward and that your families would be blessed as well. And that as a church... We can come together in unity 
and also treat each other as as God would has, has treated us. And that is to be able to uh, treat one another as some of the most important people that were ever on the earth. And God bless you.